Hello and welcome to This is Ibrooks, the Rangers podcast. I'm Martin Douglas and I'm joined tonight by the ever-present William Irwin. William, how you doing, buddy? All good, thanks, mate. And I'm absolutely delighted to say we've been joined by heart and hand overlord, David Edgar. David, how are you? I'm good, thank you for having me on. Nice to be here. Where did the term overlord come from? I can't quite remember. I think it was maybe something to do with uh, a joke Scotland made back in the day and then it got picked up by by people and it just sort of means in charge I think uh, more than anything else so I think I may have said jokingly uh, I don't like the term I didn't like that I remember it I didn't like the term fans chief I like the term overlord and from that it's, it's just sort of sprung but I mean uh, if, if they want to go with a guy that keeps all the money then that works for me as well well I, I wouldn't know I don't have any um <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the podcast is available to view on YouTube and through the website at thisisibrox.co.uk and it's available to download from whatever podcast platform you use. I would ask Willie to go through them, but he's just never that interested. I'm not a technological person, but you're better asking somebody that knows these things. <laughs> hey, gents. Well, obviously, we'll start tonight with the club issuing a statement. And David, as you're the guest, I'll come to you first. And obviously, the Stephen Gerrard, that's been a not proven for the bogus charge that was, of course, the comments made after the, the challenge on Alfredo Morelos. Yeah. One thing that, that interested me about this was that you only can get two decisions, which is either guilty or not proven. You can't get a, a not guilty oh. <laughs> verdict with the SFA's charges. I've never heard of a court, well, a real court, that uh, that had that sort of justice system in place. Generally speaking, there's an option for being not guilty. I think we all, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's an unfair thing to, to expect. So it literally was the best result the Rangers could have got. But, you know, the, I don't think anyone who looked at this would have felt that it could go any other way because there are a litany of other managers having said a version of this we've all heard that you know you watch match of the day you'll hear a manager say well I don't think that would have been given at the other end it's it's something that's said quite quite often and the way he phrased it very carefully meant it was going to be difficult the question is we're Rangers fans we're going to be upset by this a charge against a manager right I understand that so even though putting aside that this long shot case will will have cost thousands of pounds because lawyers get involved in it. It'll have cost time of people who should have more important things to do when we're in the middle of a pandemic. Had Stephen Gerrard come out and said something really strong, I'm not saying that there shouldn't have been, uh, that, that we should exempt everyone from charges at the moment because of COVID, but you should still be sensible and say, right, realistically, what's the point of this? I maintain it was done. The SFA were being criticised in the papers, and I maintain this was a deflective tactic. I think they knew that it would be uh, thrown out. I don't think they cared. I think at the end of the day, when you look at you know the charge that was brought up, it seemed ridiculous from the outset. Totally agree with David. It seemed like the sort of thing to try and move away from the recent troubles at the SFA. And let's put Stephen Gerrard's name in the front on the back of the newspapers for a few days. But at the end of the day, there was no way that the manager could be charged with what he said because so many managers make several statements after football matches that are very similar to what the manager said himself. It's just a nonsense. It's a waste of Rangers' time, Lawyers' time, the SFA's time. 
And at the end of the day, you know, there's so many more important things that the manager could be doing right now rather than sitting with Zoom calls or whatever else he's had to do and the board's had to get lawyers involved. It's just a, a complete farce and it just kind of sums up Scottish football really at the moment and the people that run the game. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, and listen, I, I want to move on to the Europa League squad announcement. And I suppose the most fascinating thing in this, David, is the names that have been left out. Now, mm. is there any one of the three from uh, Jordan Jones, Jermaine Defoe or George Edmondson that you feel it's a wee bit harsh? Or because of the 21 rule, because of um, the stuff with the youths and stuff like that and homegrown talent, do you think that was the right three that were left out? I was slightly surprised by George Edmondson simply because I thought they might want four mm-hmm. centre backs in the squad rather than three. So uh, yeah, I was a little surprised George Edmondson didn't make it. But as you say, there are other things in place. I think Jordan Jones would have got in had he been Scottish, um, but because he's not, I think Greg Stewart got the nod in that. Um, and in the case of Jermaine Defoe, I think what it is is that it's you're not going to play. In these matches, let's be honest, it's, it's very rare, certainly away from home in Europe in particular, that he would come on, that we've got Roof, we've got it, and we've got Alfie. They're going to play. So rather than have him, because he has 38, you know, we, we do need to remember that, rather than have him travelling, um, I, I still think he'll feature. I still, I still think you'll see him feature, particularly in matches after Rangers have played on the Thursday. I think Jermaine Defoe will, will feature in those matches. Um and I think that it was just a case of, of sitting him down and saying, look, it saves you the travelling, but I'm going to use you in these matches. I, I think that this is the first time that Steven Gerrard feels he's got a squad he can actually do that with. I don't think up to this this point in his, his Rangers managerial career, he's felt. And we can argue whether or not he was right to feel that or whether guys should have had game time. I'm not, I'm not debating the right and wrongs of it. I'm just saying that I think he thought he had maybe 12 to 14 players he could rely on and they would get picked regardless. Now I think he might believe that he's got kind of horses for courses players. And again, it wouldn't surprise me if you see Jordan Jones, Jermaine Defoe featuring in these matches when when we come back. You'll maybe see George Edmondson on the bench in these matches when we come back from, from Euro trips. But one of the things I, I saw a lot of online chatter about oh, Jermaine Defoe, he's one of our highest paid players on 30 grand a week. No, he's not. <laughs> Nowhere near that. I don't know where that has come from. So I, I, I can understand it. And look, realistically as well, you know, Itton, Morelos, Roof, they should be ahead of him in the pecking order, in my opinion. And, and Wally, obviously, somebody who takes um, a, a lot of interest in the youth side of things, should Rangers really be taking a look at themselves here and asking themselves why we don't have enough homegrown talent? Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, look, because I held back Ross McCrory for his move and kept him as part of the squad because I held back Robbie McCrory and kept him as part of the squad. But sometimes it's doing the right thing with the players. You know, like Robbie going out and loan was the right decision. Letting Ross go was the right decision. And... I agree with David. I think you quite look at the bigger picture. You're looking at the league games that come straight after these European trips, and it keeps a certain degree of freshness with the squad. You know, Jordan did well when he came on. He made an impact with the Mullerwell game. He obviously was a wee bit kind of kind of off colour in the game after that. But at the end of the day, he's a guy who can make an impact in Scotland. And when you get some home games straight after the European games, it's good to have fresh legs. Whether it is Defoe, Jones, Edmondson. It's something the manager needs to think about. But, yeah, look, I think when you're only using, like, 
2021-22 of a potential 25-man squad. People will obviously say, well, that's disappointing. You know, we're not using my full allocation of academy players. and But it's a very fine line. I feel as though what we've done this year is right, with Ross and with Robbie in particular. I don't think you could really argue it. Holding these guys back just to make them part of the European squad sort of doesn't really make a lot of sense, to be honest. And David, actually, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts because we've spoke obviously about the Europa League draw. What is your opinions on the group? I think it's a really decent group for us. Um, I, I, I never quite get the whole uh, want glamorous games, especially not this year where people can't travel, um, because I want a group we can get out of. And the thing about this group is Benfica to me is a big tie. Um, I don't know if it's an age thing or whatever. I know that they're not, you know, the side they were 30 years ago, but they're, they're still huge. And, and I mean, Rangers, Benfica, if that doesn't get your blood pumping, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, the other two sides are beatable, home and away. And and I think it, I, again, this, this is me, you know, child of the 80s and 90s, where a lot went right for us, but Europe was always the thing that didn't. And the most impressive thing to me about this Rangers European perform or these Rangers players European performances, we went to Holland. It's never easy. Okay, it wasn't the top side, but we went to Holland. I knew we'd win and we won. Easy. We then draw Galatasaray and I knew we'd win. I expected to win and we beat them. And that's why I'm confident with this group. None of these sides will fancy playing us. Um, they'll know that we're a very, very difficult side in Europe. I think that the manager so far certainly has, has proved that he, he can excel in Europe and there's no questions on him in Europe. The questions mm -hmm. are all about him domestically. So yeah, I, I'm really excited. I, I fancy us to get out of that group. I really do. That's not to say that if Rangers turn up and aren't right on the night, these teams won't beat them because they're good sides, they're decent sides. There's no easy passes in this. But if Rangers approach the matches correctly, then you know I, I, I can certainly think we should be capable of getting 10 points in that group. That pretty much goes along the lines of what you say as well, Willie, wasn't it? Apart from obviously you researched a wee bit about Benfica and how much they'd spent and stuff, but you're along the kind of same lines as David. We should be progressing from that group. Yeah, look, you show the teams the appropriate amount of respect. You know, they're good teams, but I think we've shown enough in the last couple of years in Europe that we're good enough to beat them. You know, the home record, you know, you would look to hopefully get the six points from you know, the two home games out with Benfica and then away from home. I don't see why it's against like the realms of possibility that we can go and win one of the games and maybe get a draw out of the other game. And then you get Benfica head-to-head. -head. I think, also that's what's going to decide who's going to win the group is between us and Benfica. And that's no disrespect to standard liaison Lech Poznan. But I think when you look at the group, it should be a shootout between ourselves and Benfica to try and top that. Yeah, they're a great team. You know, they've obviously spent what I think it was like 85 million, I think I'd read. So, yeah, look, they've, you know, they've got some serious talent in that team. But as we said last time, you know, we've beat Porto, we've beat Braga. So, certainly shouldn't have any fear for our side to go and to play Benfica home or away. I know, I think I'm just in the kind of same boat as David when I, I grew up in the 90s and stuff and we always just get beaten Europe. So, it's hard to get that positive attitude, <laughs> even though we have done so well the last two seasons. Um. But David, I want to talk to you about, and I know it's your favourite subject, international football. Mm. And the reason that I do is because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe your dad's Northern Irish. He is indeed, yes. And also heart in hand, this season's sponsor, uh, Stephen Davis. Mm. Now, um, obviously, he surpassed Pat Jennings' record 
uh, on Friday. Um, what an achievement. Also, because I believe, and I put myself in this, there was a lot of fans writing Davis off, especially towards the end of last season. And he's proven this season just how good he actually is. Especially when we sponsored him, because we've been the kiss <laughs> of death for... He also like, sponsored Kua Bali. We sponsored Kilabali, and then last season, uh, uh, Ryan Hasty and uh, or Jake Hasty even and uh, John Flanagan. So we've One not had a banner not record. <laughs> yeah, we've not had a banner record with our sponsorship so far. But yeah, look, Stephen Davis is the problem is with Stephen Davis that he, he, he was so consistent the first time round, and mm. you know at Southampton. And that's what's maybe gone a wee bit from his game. Um, his legs haven't gone or anything like that. But, you know, he, he has dips in, dips in performance. And he needs to be managed maybe more. Back when he was here under Walter, it was just he was a first name on the mm. team sheet because you knew what you were getting out of him. Um, however, he's, he's, he's still such a classy player. He's got that range of passing. He must be a dream to play with because he's, he's always available when a player turns into trouble. There, you know, Stephen Davis is always there to to give them an out and recycle the ball, and I think that that that's such an an undervalued skill. But what I like most about him is that he can control a tempo in a match because you can't just go full at it for ninety minutes. You've got to be able to um, control the ebb and flow of the game, and he's very good at just saying, right, we're under pressure a wee bit here. Let's just get my foot on the ball for five minutes and, and try and kind of get the other side's uh, energy down a wee bit and then we'll go in and we'll spring into the attack. His record for Northern Ireland is phenomenal because, look, we, we know what star players and in inverted commas can sometimes be like. Um, there was a famous stat about Wales. Uh, I don't think that Ryan Giggs missed a, a qualifying or a competitive match um, in about 10 years, but he didn't play one friendly. It's amazing how his injuries always seem to... <laughs> To coincide with that, whereas Stephen Davis has gone when he's been asked all the time. It didn't matter where he was going. It didn't matter, you know, far flung European outposts. And the other thing about Stephen Davis is he has been successful because Northern Ireland got to a major, a major tournament, which was something that was hugely unexpected. Northern Ireland have a really good shout at qualifying for another major tournament. They've been competitive, and a large part of that, I think, is the influence he brings to the side. But 121 caps, as now he's added another one to it, is an incredible achievement. He's actually closing in on Peter Shelton's record as the most capped UK player of all time, mm -hmm. which would be phenomenal. But I think any international player who turns up, you know, especially when it's you're not the most, especially when you play for bigger sides, and then it must be difficult to go from playing with Rangers to you know, with all, all due respect, some of the players in that Northern Ireland side aren't at the same level, to then go there and have to perform a different skill set. And he's done it. Um, he's never caused a moment's bother for them. He's been a wonderful ambassador on and off the field. He's just a class act. Uh, you know, the, the way he plays football, I think, is reflected in what he's like as a person. And I'm delighted for him to get this honour. And that's the biggest thing, William, that David mentions there. It's his character. You know, to be able to go and play for his country in friendlies against Moldova when it doesn't matter or play in European competitions when they've maybe already been put out. That's when your big players go, oh, I've got a wee bit of cramp in my leg. So it's his character that's one of the, the best things about Davis, not just his playing ability. No, absolutely. I mean, I've never had how much that I rate Stephen. I think he's one of the best players that I've seen in my time watching Rangers. You know, that first spell, you know, when we got him on loan and then he signed permanently. It was a joy watching him during that period, an absolute joy. You know, there were so many games that he, you know, just made us tick. And we weren't exactly a bad team then, you know, with a lot of good players around about him. But Stephen stood out as one of the best. 
And then obviously when the news broke that we were looking to bring him back under Steven Gerrard, I was excited, you know. But you also have to kind of think, well, he's a good bit older. Maybe we have to protect him a bit. And I think at times he has, you know, sort of dropped off in a bit of forum. But, you know, when you've got that ability, that level of class that Steven's got, it's always going to shine through. And I think this season especially, he's looked really good. He's looked really sharp. And I think when you look at the European games that Stephen plays and how we dictate the play and the tempo, you know, well, it makes a big difference to our team. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing with like Zungu as well. You know, when you know if he's going to be, you know, the sort of rotational player with Davis, then it'll be interesting to see how he affects the play as much as what Stephen does for us. And that's something to look forward to. But you know, his international records unbelievable. It'll be great to see him break the British record eventually be Northern Ireland and it would be great to see him go into another major championship in Northern Ireland as well. And actually well this is still in my head, David. Um we'll come on to it a wee bit later, the old forum game, but obviously it's it's well known that Stephen Davis can't play two or three games a week. And I don't know and this international schedule has been mental because you had the game on Friday, game on Sunday and there's another game on Wednesday. Is there a worry maybe for you that if Davis plays in that third game for Northern Ireland, they might not quite be in peak condition for the old forum game. Yeah, it's a worry for me with all our international players when they go away, um, that they might come back because an international manager, they always talk a good game about, oh, we're in co- close contact with the clubs and whatnot, but you know, that club performance are not their priority. They need to get results during that two weeks. And I understand that. I think we would be in kind of willfully naive if we were to um, <laughs> pretend otherwise that that is a manager's job. So, yeah, I'm always concerned when a player comes back from international duty. Add into that that there's the, you know, the travel, the emotional. Um, you don't know what, what might have gone on in terms of the, you know, the results that they've had when they've been away. Uh, it can work both ways. You know, if a player comes back buzzing after doing really well for his country, that's great. But, yeah, I think it's a legit concern with anyone. And that, even before we get into COVID and, and the extra complications that, that it can provide. Well, actually, I was just going to come to that, Wally. And international football, whether you like it, you love it, you're not that bothered about it. <laughs> with everything that's going on now, there's extra restrictions going on. There's players left, right and centre getting hit with COVID. Should we really be having international football right now? Is it really that important? I think the simple answer to that is no. I think that's basically the answer that anybody, you know, would give. Because when you look at the travelling, especially when you look at like your teams, like your Croatian teams, like there's guys travelling all over Europe to come and play together. Same with like your Israels, same with Portugal's. And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We've been fortunate so far, Touchwood, that we've not had anybody crop up, but it's only a matter of time. You know, there's always another batch of internationals, I think, next month. So the chances of getting through all of these games without one or two players catching it is probably zero. Mm. You know, and I know there's a lot of talk at the moment with what's going on with Celtic players, etc. But it's crazy, and I think the you know the powers that be have to look at the next batch of fixtures and think: Do we really need to put these fixtures on? Because quite start looking at players' well-being. You know, I mean, that's got to be paramount importance for the club managers as well as the players. Got to make sure the players are okay. Mm-hmm. So to send guys halfway around the world or to send guys to three or four different, you know, sort of locations without Europe, is it's crazy. I can't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, actually, without overreacting, David, 
you know, the amount of players that have picked it up, you look at Edward for Celtic, and then obviously I think it was Christie and Tierney had to self-isolate. There's every chance that with all these international fixtures that it could start cancelling games. Of course, yeah. For me, it was a, a catastrophically stupid risk. And the knock-on effects into the national games, many of which in Europe, the league is, is on sufferance with mm-hmm. the government. Um, to take these risks, I think, was was really foolish because I think in general during the pandemic to have play, people, anybody, but hundreds of people flying across the world unnecessarily seems seems a bit pointless to me. I I think had it been something that, that couldn't be missed or rearranged, we would we would understand it a little bit easier. But the Nations League were the best way in the world that should have been scrapped. Um yeah. the playoffs for the Euro qualifiers that, that, that Scotland and Northern Ireland played the other evening, they could have been played at the end of the season, just before the, the tournament itself started. So I think it is, you know, at FIFA and UEFA, their insistence that the international game is the, the, the prime, uh, the, the, the prime level of football in the world. And that's simply not true. Was no. true, was true for decades that it was the pinnacle, but it hasn't been, I think, since the Champions League was introduced. It's become clear that that's where players are valued and judged for. And I think that the the frustration is that we are now possibly going to be in a situation where leagues will be at risk because mm. it's not up to FIFA whether the game continues in Scotland. You know, we've seen that before. It's up to the, the Scottish executives. So we'll need to... We'll need to see what happens with it. I, I totally agree with Willie that I haven't been particularly um, indulging in much schadenfreude with the, the, the Celtic players for the simple reason is that it, the likelihood is that at one point it will happen to us. It'll happen to any team who has players off on international duty. Um, and for me, it would be unforgivable if we were to lose uh, to, to lose domestic leagues or in Europe because of this. Friendlies were allowed this week. That should never have been allowed. No. Never. No, that's just that. That's absolute craziness. But, but well, David mentioned it there, and we'll have a wee quick chat about it. Not, not too long. But Scotland, Israel, obviously Scotland through to the final against Serbia. And I don't know if you watched the game, but have you ever ever to sit somebody down and go, "This is how Steve Clark manages. This is a Steve Clark game." That was it. It was horrendous. Yeah, well, I only seen patches of it, to be honest with you. I was kind of flicking between a few of the games. I think what stood out is that's how he manages. You know, we've seen it at Kilmarnock. He was always likely to do the same at an international level. But I think we spoke a couple of weeks ago about he when you start to win games of football, how many people actually care about how they played. And for people that support Scotland at the moment, all they'll care about is that Scotland are winning games of football. And that's all that really matters. So, you know, he could play another 90 minutes of terrible football against Serbia. But Scotland won 1-0. Nobody's really going to care. Mm. That's how it is. And personally, I don't watch a huge amount of international football. Like the last kind of round of games, I watched like sort of both Finland games. But in these ones, in the last couple of days, I've kind of flicked between games. Um, And mainly because when you look at like some of the starting lineups of some of the teams when they're replacing like nine guys for the previous game and you're sitting going, it tells you that the managers are like protecting the players for a certain game. Because I saw, I think they said in the Northern Ireland game that Slovakia had made like nine changes 
I think that was for the set. I think that was actually for the Scotland game. They made the name. It's a reserve side. Whatever it is, you know, see if an international manager to make that many changes, that's him pretty much saying, look, don't really care about this game. You know, the next game's the most important game, so I'll just rest and recuperate pretty much your entire start in 11. So I think that tells you a lot about international football right now as well. But I suppose in the grand scale of things, David, Scotland are one game away from qualifying for a major tournament since, was it 1998? 98, yeah. Um, yeah, look, and I actually think that the type of manager Steve Clark is will, will help in terms of the match against Serbia because this is the sort of game he might excel in. I, I, I don't think that he is um, particularly comfortable at his sides having to build the game um, and his sides having to, or, or getting to dominate the ball and having a lot of the ball and having to create, that's not what he's comfortable at. But going up against a, a side who on paper are better, then I think that, that that might actually suit how he likes to manage. Steve Clark's a, an odd one, because even putting aside, you know, the whole uh, antipathy, that the, the mutual antipathy between him and Rangers, he is a phenomenal coach, his record, tells you that nobody can argue or deny that look where he's been look who's employed him look at who he's worked with he's a phenomenal coach his managerial career however is average and Mm -hmm. he got this job on the back of doing above average with Kilmarnock not great didn't win anything with Kilmarnock didn't you know no no shocking things where you go wow what an achievement that was he did well he got them to to third place he kept them consistent he kept them in the top six on on a lower budget but it wasn't anything spectacular, I would argue. Um, I think he did well with Kilmarnock. Um, if you look at the rest of his managerial career, it's it's average to, to kind of okay. Uh, I think he got the Scotland job on the back of that and the lack of other viable candidates. And I think he is struggling to adapt to it. I think he's struggling to adapt to because he's a coach first and foremost. He's struggling to adapt to not having the players every day to drill them. Then when you're working with a higher class of player as well, they might not do the, the, the training routines and drills that you want to do. I remember when Roy Hodgson went to Liverpool um, and the players did not take to his, where is it, when he's at Crystal Palace or West Brom or whoever, <laughs> they'll do what he, because they know he's a winner, whereas at, at Liverpool the players expect a wee bit more. And I wonder if Clark falls into that category as well. But as as Willie said, you know, if he gets Scotland to a major finals, then it's the pinnacle of his career. It's a major achievement because Scotland have just not be not been able to do so for for a long, long time. And and each year that passes, the more difficult it becomes because I think that you've seen with Scotland the last few years that there's a sort of depression about Scotland matches that comes from the half-empty terraces, that comes from the fans, uh, that comes you know, from the players. There's a kind of desultory feel to the whole thing. And I think that getting to a major tournament would be huge for Steve Clark and for the Scotland national team. But I, I do think that he's a guy who hasn't really shown through his career that if he's coming up against a well-organised side himself and the onus is on his side to to produce something, then, you know, the, the, I don't think that suits him. And, and one thing in terms of long-term, and I get why people aren't thinking about this just now, one of the reasons I sort of went off the Scottish team is when Andy Roxburgh and Craig Brown, because I was a hugely passionate Scotland fan as a kid, but they sucked the joy out of it. Um, they sucked the romance and the dream out of it. And that's before we get into, you know, politics and all the other stuff that affects the relationship between Rangers and the national team these days. But, 
I remember, you know, Craig Brown, his whole attitude was, well, you know, we're kind of rubbish. We can't expect to do anything. And when somebody tells you that over and over, you start to believe it. And then what was the point of it? I, I preferred when, you know, we had the, the Ali McLeod attitude and the, yeah, we can do something. Okay, yeah, we're going to win it. <laughs> okay, it went wrong. But, you know, it was fun. And, and, I, and I think that when people, when managers try to shrink expectations to make their own job easier, I think long-term that has a negative effect on people's interest in watching it. It's also a man who picked Tom Boyd over David Robertson. Well, there you go, you know. Um, And Tosh McKinley, a a specialist. (laughs) Oh, and actually that brings me on a good question. Every guest we have on, David, I ask them one simple question. And obviously Tommy's not on the pod tonight, but if you had to pick one left back, David Robertson or Arthur Newman, who would you pick? Hmm. It's a tough one. Newman was a better player, but I'd pick Robertson. Well, I agree with you with Robertson. I think he was a better player, but I'm a Robertson fanboy. No, I, I think that I think that Newman was more talented and more all round. But I think in terms of contribution to Rangers, um, I would go for David Robertson. Uh, but I was a, a huge David Robertson fan, and it's maybe an era thing um, with me. But yeah, Newman was a genuinely top European class player. But so was David Robertson. Mm-hmm. I'll put a wee tick in the David Robertson box. That'll do me <laughs> nicely. Um, right, we'll have a wee chat about transfers, Willie. And obviously, we've done the pod on transfer deadline day. And as soon as we finished the pod, Rangers announced Zungu, which was very nice of them. But what have you made of the all-round um, transfer window for us? Well, I think the biggest thing that we required over the summer was more threats going forward. Obviously, getting Hadji's deal done, getting in Seppi Kitten, obviously getting in... Roof as well. You, know, you look at us going forward now, there's a lot more threats for different areas of the pitch. It was something we were screaming out for last year. So the managers now get a lot of options when everybody's fit, which is obviously the big thing at the moment. When everybody's fit, they have Itten, Morelos, Roof, Hadji, Kent, uh, Joe Aribo, etc. You know, that's a lot of quality in the final third of the pitch. Obviously, the injury to Katic kind of forced the manager's hand. We had to go out and get Balligan. Um, I would say that John McLaughlin's probably been the biggest surprise. I mean, like, I've seen a little bit of him at Hearts, but he's come in and been a proper signing in terms of the goalkeeping department because at times you think you bring in a backup, and he is just a backup. He's never got a chance of playing. He's not at the same level, but I think John's come in and done a great job. You know, and it was... I sort of felt sorry for him when he dropped out of the team in Europe and McGregor came in. But then McGregor has that outstanding performance in Holland and then you think, aye, that's why Alan's the number one. But I think we've definitely made ourselves stronger across the pitch. We've also added Bassey as well, the young fullback, who is gradually starting to look like a good player, but we've still got to be patient with him. He's only played a, a handful of first-team games, which is exciting. And I think even looking at the guys that we've loaned out this year for the academy, I think, yet again, that's been a lot of good transfer business. A lot of players now in the Scottish Championship, and they're going to get a good push this year. There's going to be a lot of games for these guys. And the loan market's still open for the academy players, so we might see another couple of them going out and loan as well to get further development and then hopefully come back and push for the first team. Yeah, I think it's interesting with Bassey because he does look as if he's going to be a cracking player. He's just a wee bit like my hair all over the place. Um, but David, do you feel there's any areas that we we needed covered that we didn't get covered, or are you quite happy with the overall squad? 
I'm happy with the overall squad. I would have liked another midfielder. Um, I'll come to that. <laughs> I would have, yeah, I would have uh, liked another midfielder in there. But I, yeah, I'm a, a eternal optimist. I like the guys that we've brought in. I think that we've, you know, I look at our squad and I think, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm happy um, in just about every position. That's not to say that there's not a drop off when we lose players, as we saw, you know, when we lost Joe Aribo, although. I think that, that Scott Arfield has really stepped up and grabbed that opportunity over the last few weeks. But I, I really like the front line. I think Ruth looks to me a, a very clever player. And I think somebody that that could just add that wee extra thing would maybe miss and just, just knitting the squad together. I would have, if it'd be me and money wasn't an, you know, wasn't an issue, then I'd probably have looked at a right winger. But I think that you know, the manager sees something in Barker um, and clearly, you know, obviously still thinks he'll be able to get something out of Jones as well. So maybe he felt that was the case. It's a weird transfer window. Yeah. You know, it's been going on forever. God, Hadji was part of this transfer window and that seems <laughs> forever ago. So I get that it wasn't maybe as straightforward to get people out the door, even than it had been in the past and, and that clubs maybe didn't. Um, have the money to take players off your hands. So that ties your hand a wee bit in terms of the transfer market. Uh, it would have been interesting if Alfie had gone, would there have been more players coming in? I think that that very much would have been the case. But, you know, we're still left with a very good player in Alfie, as we know, who's been absolutely key to, to the success we have achieved. Uh, you know, the, not enough success, but but still. And I think that, I, yeah, I like the look of the, the, the squad. I like all the signings that have come in. There's nobody... So far that I've looked at and went, Oof, you know, no chance. I don't, I don't see the point of that. I was delighted for um, Cedric Kitten to get those those mm-hmm. two goals um, because it's crazy these days, you know, how quickly pressure can can get on people. Yeah. Um, and then you know, Lyndon Dyke scores a goal against, you know, no disrespect, Slovakia reserves, and people, oh, we should have signed him. And you're like, oh, no. You do know that Itton's away playing for Switzerland right now, a pretty good side. Um, yeah, so I think it was a decent transfer window on paper and so far happy enough with the results. But like every transfer window, time will tell whether or not it was a success. And as I say every podcast, though, you've got to remember that Itton was called up by accident. Naps. Uh, of course, yeah. So oh. he, he, or he got put on. By accident. You get put on. Um, but, and he continuously uh, gets put on by accident. By accident. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I think as well that, that the Itton one was the Rangers want a striker that will develop. And I think we forget that sometimes because if you look at someone like Kent, mm-hmm. you know, Ryan Kent is brilliant. He's a star man and he's just going to get better and better and better. But it, it's taken us two years to, to get him up to this level. And I, I look down at England at the moment at someone like Dominic Calvert-Lewin. It's taken him four years Mm-hmm. And that Everton side to get to this level because they've progressed and progressed and progressed. And it might be like that. And unfortunately, we, we can't sign finished articles all that often. We certainly can't sign 11 of them. We can't get a team of them. So we either get players on the way down or on the way up. And for me, I'd rather get the guys on the way up and embed them in because, you know, first of all, there's resale value. Second of all, um, you'll you know, you'll get that couple of great seasons out of them and then hopefully make, you know, a lot of money and can invest in the future. But we we have to try and remember that we're going to have to give some guys time. Um, football's the only sport in the world where I think you're expected to move country, um, get a new house, get a new place and be 100% at your work on day one. 
And I think maybe that's sometimes we we forget. I think sometimes that footballers are human beings because we only see them on the park as these two. We only see them as footballers. And I think we need to remember occasionally that they are humans. They will have their settling in. They are going through COVID as well and all the the strangeness that 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 brings. But yeah, I mean, like every Rangers fan, there'll be a couple of things I would have done differently in the transfer window. But overall, happy enough. Yep. I suppose you could also put Hadji in that bracket. Uh... Uh, letting him progress and, and not get on his back so quick because we've seen it in the last maybe month or so that there's been a lot of criticism I had you and like you say it took Kent two years he wasn't sparkling the first time he came in no. so you know just... and Hadji as well is I don't think he's ever going to be the type of player that people maybe envisage he's not going to be somebody that is doing something every minute in a game he's going to be a guy that does go out the game, for, mm-hmm. but he can play a ball that nobody else in our team yeah. can do. And he can play a pass that nobody else in our team can do. And if we know complained about that for a couple of years, that we had plenty <laughs> of runners. Daniel Kandias is a name that I see throwing out a fair bit. Yeah, but I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a Hadji than a Daniel Kandias because yes, Kandias will do a shift and he'll run up and do that wing all day. And then at the end of the season, you look at his returns and it's you know four goals and five assists. And you go, hmm, how often did he win as a match? That's the difference. Whereas Hadji's got, I think, seven assists in seven games, as well as four or five goals. So that's the difference with these guys. But they will frustrate you. They'll drive you nuts. Yeah. There will be times where you're like, why were you trying a back heel? <laughs> yeah. and, and, it'll get, and it'll get in our wick. But see the times that it comes off, they're the ones we'll remember. Absolutely. And while there's every possibility, well, I mean, I don't know how, possible it is but there's been a lot of chat about Jack Wilshire in the last couple of days now how much of this is sensationalism do you think and how much of it could actually be true because if it is the case that we're interested in Jack Wilshire number one his injury record but number two his wages look I would like to think at this stage he's clear given the money he's earned it shouldn't really be about money anymore it should be about playing this is a guy that's basically lost like two or three years of his career due to injury so at this point, it should just all be about playing. He should be going to a club where he's going to play every week. And if he is going to play, it should probably be on a lesser wage where those bonuses accrued for performances or after a set amount of games, maybe there's an increase on his wages, whatever, that should be looked at. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt in the guy's ability. You know, when he was at his prime at Arsenal, he was probably one of the best players in that Arsenal team. And they had a lot of top top players so having him would make a difference whether that deal is going to happen or not you know there's been speculation now for the last what seven days or so about it I think the biggest pull for somebody like Wiltshire would be to work under Steven Gerrard you know I think there's also a huge amount of respect between the two and that could be like a motivating factor in him coming to Rangers would he make us a better team yeah absolutely and I think that's always the biggest thing that we talk about it's Let's improve the team. You know, let's improve the start and the loving. And I think also Gary McAllister was quoted saying, you know, over the summer they wanted to add quality, not quantity. And I think that's what they obviously believe they've done when they've added Roof and Itton. And Wiltshire would certainly be a very good addition to what we've already got. What do you think, David? What's your thoughts on the whole Jack Wilshire story? I think he could be a bit of a... Right now, Jack Wilshire's a kind of Schrodinger's footballer that he can be anything you decide to pin on him. Um, my concern is if it was the Jack Wilshire that we remember, he it, it wouldn't be coming to Scotland. 
mm-hmm. wouldn't even be a discussion point that he would be coming to Scotland. And that's a worry for me. Um, his injury record. Are we signing Jack Wilshire or the ghost of Jack Wilshire if he comes? Now, I don't know. He, for all I know, he is fully fit and ready to go and ready to go. And certainly football is full of, of chapters where people have had injury problems and have come back and have starred. Maybe it's a case of tempering our expectations. He might not be as good as he was, but he still might be better than what we have. Mm-hmm. In which case, you know, it still makes sense to to bring him in. But I, I get, you mentioned earlier, we grew up in the nineties. That phrase, if we can get him fit, attached mm-hmm. to a sign, and uh, you know, I've just I've heard it so often, and and I get why it's tempting because, as well, he says, if you you look back to some of the performances, the boy had the lot. I mean, he had the lot. As a centre midfielder, he could run, tackle, pass, shoot, score goals. Anything you needed, he had the ability to do. I just, I don't know if that guy exists anymore. And and, and we've seen this, you know, we've, we've seen that. The, the one I always go back to was, um, you know, Capuccio. Mm-hmm. When, you know, Alex McLeish, oh, yeah, I saw him three years ago, he was fantastic. Yeah, but that was three years ago. That guy doesn't exist anymore. His knees have gone. And I worry that that would be the case with Jack Wilshire. that if we brought him in, he might not be the player that we thought he... That, that he, de- he definitely won't be the player that he once was, but it, that he's not of a level or that he breaks down a lot and, and we get ourselves into a kind of Jordan Russell situation. But if, you know, the manager, who'll know better than me, and, uh, you know, Ross Wilson, who'll know better than me, judge that his fitness is good and his ability levels are still there and his hunger is good, then yeah, if we could get him playing, then it would be a fantastic deal. I just I haven't seen enough of him in the last two, three years to to judge. I couldn't tell you what Jack Wilshire 2020 is like. So that for me is the conundrum. Well, I suppose as well, David, is it a financial gamble that we really have to take? No, it certainly isn't. We don't have to take it. Um, it would depend on how much he wants. There will be a level mm-hmm. that, that Rangers can pay. Um, I t- you know, again, look, if they're convinced that Jack Wilshire coming in helps us to 55, do it. Christ, we'll have a whip round if it'll help us to 55. You know, there's no no arguments from any Rangers supporter there. But we can't take a punt. That's the difference. I mean, a team in England can give Jack Wilshire 30 grand a week and he can sit in the stand for three years and, it, you know, it's frustrating, but it's Probably not going to bother them. We can't do that. We, we can't, you know, that... Any investment to us is, is a big investment because you ain't coming here for five grand a week, let's face it. So I I don't know. Uh, I can make an argument for why you'd be a great signing. I can make an argument for why you'd be a disaster of a signing. And I'm I'm glad I don't need to make the decision. <laughs> um, well, we're just, just finishing up on transfers. Um, Alfredo Morelos, there was a lot spoke about him. You know, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? In the end, it just kind of petered out. Uh, what's your whole opinion on that kind of, non-transfer saga and Alfie Stain? Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt when the whole thing started with Leo that it was only a matter of time before he left. But then for whatever reason, that seemed to kind of dwindle. Then they obviously go and sign somebody else. Then there was like, it was every other day, it seemed to be a new team was linked with him. But at the end of the day, you know, if the club have got a certain value that they've put on Morelos's head and nobody's willing to pay that due to the current, you know, kind of state of the world that we're in, but the club are still in a great position. You know, Alfie's still got a long-term contract here. It's not like he's out of contract next summer and the club are desperate to sell. You know, hopefully, if Alfredo's here at the end of the season and we're successful, it just adds to his value. You know, he's away with, obviously, Colombia again. 
you know, which yet again also just adds to his caps total, which obviously helps us as well when you're looking to sell somebody. So it's not a bad thing. And personally, you know, if somebody had said at the end of this window we were still going to have Alfredo, we were going to have Itten and Ruth and Aribo and Hajji and all these other guys, I would have said, that's phenomenal. If we can get to the end of the window and have all those players, it's great business for the club. And maybe it's not how it was supposed to be, because maybe we did expect to lose him. But, you know, he's here, we're going to use him. We'll need to see, obviously, what he's like when he flies back to South America. That's obviously another big decision for the manager to make at the weekend. But I would rather have Alfredo in the team than not have him. I understand that we can't sell him if there's nobody interested. But, but David, is it a risk maybe not selling him if we had the opportunity? Because obviously with Itten and Roof and Defoe, you might not get as many goals or as much playing time as he's had. So we might lose that value. Of course it is, yeah. I mean, that... It's a bit like an offer on deal or no deal, isn't it? That I suppose we'll know in the end how, how it worked. You know, 16 million was a lot of money. Um, and a lot of Rangers fans, I think, were going 16 million is a lot of money. Let's just grab that. Mm-hmm. Equally, there are other Rangers fans going, you are winding me up. Um, and that Rangers need to hold on. And if we think he's worth 20, then you hold on to him. A lot of clubs are holding on to assets right now because they think that this is a back, this is a depressed market and that you're not going to get the full value for the player that you might be able to get in a while. Um, again, you know, uh, without knowing the, the, the ins and outs of, you know, did we have other players lined up? I, I don't know. It, it felt at the time that we'd signed Ruth and Itten to replace him. Um, against that, though, what we have with Alfie as a class player who, if he wants his move, has to understand that he's got to keep doing it. You know, if he you know dries up, there wasn't a, a stream of clubs beating down Rangers' door for him. Let's put it that way. That's clear. I mean, that, that that's a fact. Lille were really the only club to come in with with serious bids. Um, there was a kind of derisory one from from Torino the the, the day that the the window shut. Um, so he needs to, to get on with it. He needs to score goals. He needs to, to maintain his place in the side. It might be better because we don't have to play him every game, which I think we, we always have had to do since really he's been here. And now he can he can have you know a week off here and there, and that might help him. But if we end up selling him for more, then it was the right move. If we end up selling him for the same, then fair enough, because we got to keep him for a bit longer. And if he ends up going for significantly less, it was a mistake. Well, we'll just need to obviously, obviously wait and see. Personally, myself, I, I feel we, if we had the opportunity, we, we should have sold them. But who do I know? I'm just a bus driver. You're um, going to cop it now online because <laughs> Alfie's uh, the, the the two um, players that you never want to slag off are Alfie and Tav. Oh no, no, th- those are the ones where the, the you know people will come at you, bro. Oh no, absolutely. And I, I just have to say, I love Alfie, but I, I do, I do genuinely feel that. This was the window that if we had the opportunity, we, we really should have, especially bringing in Etten and Roof and having Defoe there. We probably had uh, enough cover. But but listen, I'll, I'll move on before I get myself into any more trouble. Um, we're going to do a preview show later on in the week of the Old Firm game, so we're just going to loosely touch on it now. And, well, Irwin, this could obviously be known as the coronavirus Old Firm game, but, but how important is this uh, to our season, considering look, if we lose it, we're what's that, two points behind with them a game in hand, so it's, it's not going to be the end of the world, but how important is this to our season? I think every time we play Celtic it's important, you know, regardless. I think at the moment, 
it would be good if we could get one or two players back. You know, it would be good to see maybe if Roof had a chance of being on the bench at least. Um, the biggest thing at the moment is seeing who comes back to international duty, whether they're injured, whether there's like COVID issues. It's going to be really difficult for the manager. He's probably not really going to know until Thursday or Friday where he stands, which must be horrific. You know, he's probably got a, a rough idea of the team he would like to play. Obviously, there's certain guys that aren't having international duty, like Goldson, McGregor, Kent. So as long as these guys are doing the sensible things away from the pitch, we should be fine. But it's obviously just to worry with guys like Barisic, with Morelos to come back, Glenn Kamara, Stephen Davis, Ryan Jack, etc. So, I mean, there's a lot of concern. I mean, that's potentially your midfield three there, you know, that are still to fly back into the country. So that's a concern. Um, but look, we'll just need to wait and see where we are come Thursday or Friday, see who's going to be available. You know, I mean, that's going to be the problem for both teams in reality, because nobody's really going to know. I mean, I think it's crazy that there's games on, like, Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and you're expected to play at half past 12 on Saturday. And by the time some of these guys actually fly back, like, I don't imagine that Alfie's going to be back in the country until nearly Friday. So, I mean, you know, mm. there's not going to be any tactical work done with him. There's not really going to be any physical work done with him. It's literally, hey, Alfie, you'll need to roll up at Parkhead. And by the way, you're starting to love him about expecting a big performance. I mean, I mean, that's not how to get the best out of players, clearly. And that's where international duty is a big hindrance for Steven Gerrard. Ah, well, I know we've, we've already touched on that, but it is an absolute joke. But are you, are you confident, David, we... If we take all the scenarios into play with the COVID stuff, the international travel, and the way we've started the season, the way maybe Celtic have started the season, are you confident going to Parkhead? Yeah, I'm always confident. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic there, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't really do the doom and gloom. Don't get me wrong, my, uh, you know, my, my gut will be churning um, and as we get closer to it and I'll go through all the emotions that, that we always go through, that everybody goes through before we go into one of these games. But... I don't really do the the whole, oh, they're missing players, therefore it's going to be a doddle, mm-hmm. nor do I do the the reaction to that I see online, which is too many folk are saying it's going to be a doddle and that's worrying me. Um, there's no point getting worried. It doesn't matter one iota what you or I think. Um, that's not going to affect the game. If we turn up and play the way we can, we will win. If we turn up and we don't play the way and we don't do the right things, then we won't, because they will still, regardless of COVID, have more than enough good players to punish us. The The fact that there's no crowd in is going to make it a bizarre game. Yeah. It's going to be the most bizarre old firm game I've ever seen. And it will be weird for the players as well, who adapts better, who feeds off it more on, on a game like that. You would think on paper that it, it helps us more, because mm. obviously you have the backing of their fans. But we'll need to wait and see who can raise the tempo themselves because you don't have the crowd pushing you on in every decision. Will it affect the refereeing? You know, certainly the matches I've watched, I've felt that the lack of crowd reaction has has led to kind of less cards and less flashpoints and whatnot. So maybe that'll be a factor as well. But I think if we turn up and play our game, they have struggled in the last two matches. I know they won one of them, but they, they struggled in the last two matches with Rangers press. And if Rangers can do that to them again, I don't see what they've got different that would change that. But if our heads aren't right, if we don't hold on to the ball well, if we don't use the ball well, if we don't take chances in the final third, then we'll probably not get anything. 
Well, actually, I was going to come back to you there, David, about, about the crowds, because obviously you've been to, I think, every game at Ibrox and a couple yes. of away games. How have you noticed the difference in intensity in the matches and the players' performance and, most importantly, the referees' performance? I mean, referees still make errors. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of things like cards coming out, then, yeah, I've, I've definitely noticed a difference um, in terms of... Uh, in terms of referees being, I wouldn't say influence, but influence goes both ways. They can be influenced by the crowd to do something, but they can be influenced by the crowd to not do something, you know, almost as a double bluff, almost to prove, well, I'm not going to bring out the card. And they seem to have a little bit longer to make a decision, if that makes sense, because they don't have, you know, 50,000 people reacting to a tackle. In terms of intensity, there have been periods in games where you could see the, you know, the sides weren't quite, it wasn't fizzing about the way Galatasaray was intense from start to finish. And you could feel even with just, you know, the the couple of hundred people who were in the stadium between coaches and directors and UEFA delegates and press, you could still feel the tension that was, was on display. And I think that that's why I, I think there will still be an intensity to the weekend between the players because they both know what this is, you know, they, they both know what's at stake, but it's it can't be the same as it is when there's all those people there. It just it just can't. I mean, there's there's not the the same hysteria. It, it will be different, and it is about how a team adapts to that. Um, I'm confident we'll you know we've got the players to go there and do the business, and we've got big game players, which is great because we've lacked that for a wee while. But we've got enough players who now that you know. We'll be able to contribute something serious, but like I say, it's a, a weird dynamic. And even you know, the, there have been matches at, at Ibrox this season where I've been sitting, and and you can hear the managers of both teams screaming for a bit more intensity and a bit more passion. And you you think to yourself, you know, if there was fifty thousand in here right now, either cheering or grumbling or booing or whatever, then that would add that wee extra five percent of the players' legs. But it can feel like a training. I don't think Saturday's well, but it can at times feel like that. I know it's really frustrating that it's on a Saturday because I've manufactured it at work, so I've always got a Sunday off, and now they move the old forum game to a Saturday. Absolutely raging. Um, well, listen, like I said, we're going to go a bit more in-depth into the old forum game uh, later on towards uh, the week, but give me a wee quick score prediction, actually. Go for it. I know how much you love them. Oh, yeah. Um, go for a 3-1 Rangers. 3-1 Rangers. David, give me a score prediction and whether you think Stephen Davis will start. I don't think Davis will start. I think Jack will start and I think it will be 2-1 Rangers. 2-1 Rangers. I'm going to go 4-0 Rangers. There you go. Just to be totally different. That, that is be... different. <laughs> I hope you're right. If, I, if I'm right, then I'll make an appearance on Heart and Hand. There you oh, go. If, you're, if you're right, I'll send you <laughs> money. If, if that comes up, I'd... If the... Don't get me wrong, I mean, I would, I would give my right arm for that one. <laughs> Listen, guys, we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, Wally Urban, as ever, mate, thank you very much. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having us. And David, thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate you taking time out to come and talk to us. No problem. Thanks for having me. And thank you to everybody watching, everybody listening, and we shall speak to you next week. <laughs>